Hi, this is Joe Hackman with the Manufacturing Advocates podcast, and today I'm talking with George J. Wernett III, we call him Joe, who's the CEO of TriTool. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to speak with you as always. So, Joe, tell me the history of TriTool. Tell me a little bit about how you guys got started and, and what you did. Well, that's kind of a, there's a short story and a long story, and I'll go with kind of the longer story. And it goes back to the earlier days of the original construction of the Rancho Seco nuclear power plant. They were having uh, needs to test and qualify welders faster than what they could currently do. They were having to send out these pieces of pipe and put bevels on them so the welders could weld them back together. So from that need spurred a machinist, a welder, and a general surgeon here in Sacramento. The three of them came together and started the first product for TriTool, and that product was a portable precision machining system. So rather than bring the workpiece to a machine shop, you bring the machine shop to the workpiece. And that then pioneered the way for all of our other products that we have developed to create and offer more abilities for welders to have a safer weld because it's more of a consistent joint geometry. And in order to not have problems or have to overcome certain other difficulties, the welder is able to just focus on his weld. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat how uh, to hear the stories of businesses and kind of how they got started. And uh, so your dad, your dad was a physician. What was a physician doing uh, building precision tools? Was that was he friends with his partners and they just got together as a business opportunity and said, "Hey, let's do this"? Or how did that? Come to fruition. That is uh, relatively how it worked out. They, uh, the other two gentlemen, were um, part of the church group, and they came together. And Dad, the general surgeon, having more on along the line of the finance and business side, and being able to help pull things together, as the three of them really took this uh, new concept to market. Very neat. Well, you know, it's um, it, as I look through the uh, the TriTool website and and I lo- walk around your facility, I'm I'm always amazed at the different types of equipment that you guys have built. There's you've got equipment back there that's in containers, and I saw there was a, a magazine article that you you have a new product out now that is kind of neat. It looked like it was a the safety. Why don't you just briefly tell me a little bit about that so people kind of have an idea of what you guys are doing. So along the ideas that our product line is portable machine shop or machine equipment, our newest um, product line is going to be the seatbelt or the airbag of our industry. It is adding adding very technical advanced features that improve the safety of the equipment. Our equipment needs to be portable, quickly deployable, and safe, but it needs to be able to cut metal pipe. And in order to cut metal pipe, you need horsepower, you need the torque. And 
that is a safety concern. And in a manufacturing world, in a safety world, in a field services world, safety is your number one priority. And this new product is taking safety to the next level where our competitors will just be chasing us. That's great. Well, it's, it's good to hear the, the innovation is alive and well here. So I'd imagine, Joe, it's um, you, you were just uh, not recently but fairly recently um, – uh, became CEO of the company, but there's a, there's a long story that leads up to that. What was it like growing up around uh, Tritool and being involved in the business? So I would say I had a very unique opportunity as a young boy. I, with with father running the company and him believing that I needed to be earning a living, at eight years old, I pretty much started working in the mornings I'd come into the shop, refill coolant tanks, take the oil out, turn on the swamp coolers, and start getting the shop to cool down. From that, I would, uh, well, I would start doing that, and then I'd go sleep on his couch. Then as I got older and different, um, more around the age of 12, I started living with different employees for the summer. Dad would give me to the employee and have me learn and be mentored by the different employees. That gave me a very great opportunity to work in the machine shop, work in the IT department, work in different parts of the company where I worked for them. Even though Dad ran the business, he, he let everybody know that if I, did not, if I did not survive, that they could fire me. Wow. So it really put, put an early early love of being around technical, mechanical, oil and coolant and just that whole world when you walk into a machine shop that if you love it, it is it is instilled in your genes. You just smile. You just breathe in the air. It's clean air, but there is a definite distinction to what is going on in a machine shop, and that is creating things, tangible goods that actually do something in the world. And that passion from the early age to just recently, um, earlier this year in January, where I was given the honor to take on the CEO role. But it uh, definitely was due to dad and mom giving me that opportunity to make a little bit of money and dad would take the money and invest it for me. So, Wow, well that, <clears throat> that was probably good. Uh, and you didn't have the whole, uh, probably the same child labor laws and stuff that we have today. But, you know, you were part of the family, so I'm sure part of that's... That, that is a very interesting point. It's, it, it is sad to think that nowadays you, you, you can't offer those kind of opportunities to younger younger generations or younger people because these child labor laws and i mean i i was not overworked i i was monitored and protected but i mean for a 8 year old doing small things to a 12 year old actually helping build parts that is who made me what made me who i am today and our youth of today is greatly missing a lot of opportunities. 
Yeah, they'd, they'd have to be a, a family member in order for that to happen at this point. It's it's just not going to happen otherwise. But um, So tell me, um, Joe, what, what is important about manufacturing in your opinion? Why is manufacturing important? A lot of things in the manufacturing world that a lot of people do not necessarily realize is all the different career paths and people that it takes to make a manufacturing company succeed and be profitable or prosperous. And some of those jobs exist everything from having a safety person to having quality control. You have engineers. You can have mechanical, electrical, software, R&D, technical assembly technicians, finance professionals, technical sales staff, technical repair staff, administrative support, cleaning crews, machinist from the CNC to manual lathes to mills, sawing, welding. All these different career paths all come together to make a manufacturing company exist. And having manufacturing companies employs employs our people, our um, partners in the industry. We then have to go out and buy supplies, buy consumables from our suppliers and uh, um, partners in the industry to make other goods. And so a lot of a lot of the activities that take place in a manufacturing company employ a lot more than just the employees in the building. It employs the region. And as uh, as we've run into more companies leaving California, we've had a harder time finding suppliers in the local area to provide us provide us the raw materials, and that has increased our costs that we have to then pass off to our customers. So we need as many people local to help us be as successful as a manufacturing company, also. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting industry in that it, you you almost want your competitors to be clo- as close as possible to you because the more people that are around, uh, well, for one, they're all playing by the same rules, but we'll talk about that more later. But the more people that are around, the more they're contributing to the channel as a whole. And the output of a manufacturing job is substantially higher uh, we covered that in in my last uh, um, interview with Bill Gaines. It's um, it's incredible how much direct output comes from a manufacturing job. Uh, so that that since we're on the subject, let's let's talk about the regulatory aspects. It's a huge factor. You guys have uh, succeeded and thrived in probably, if not, I, I'm going to say probably the most difficult state in the United States to operate a business uh, out of your headquarters is in Rancho Cordova. Uh, let's tell people what, what that's like and, and how do you survive and, and uh, navigate this difficult environment? Well, that is, a, that is a question that I wish I had a full answer for because it is we are surviving and we are doing a lot of great things and a lot of those efforts are trying to work with our local community and working with our local community colleges, working with our local associations, and working towards developing a workforce of tomorrow to help sustain us as a business. 
and just recently was a manufacturing day, and we were able to open our doors for the first time, and it, it was just amazing. Manufacturing day is an opportunity for the public to come into a manufacturing facility and see what is what is made and created in their neighborhood. So we had two high schools come in and one college come in, and that was really cool to see these students, their eyes just ball up and just be able to see all this equipment, all this activity going on inside a building that's they didn't know anything ever existed or that this kind of work ever took place. We have large CNC machine tools. We have small machine tools. We set up little booths at different parts of the building so that different employees could explain to the students how we made these parts. The more complex geometries, the more complex tool paths. This was a amazing opportunity for, as I said, the youth of uh, our future, basically, to see this, but also for our employees. Just they, they, were, they were ecstatic to be able to talk to the youth of tomorrow and explain to them how important everything we do is. And so these kind of efforts are ways that we try to improve the climate in California for manufacturing. So one of our, one of many great challenges that we face is, as a California manufacturer, our competition is not in California. Actually, I don't think any of our competitors in any of our market spaces are in California. So they have very unique advantages over us. And as these competitors are not in California, a lot of them are not in the U.S., they have corporate conglomerates that have moved their manufacturing overseas, moved it into China and moved it into other low-wage countries that have really, really stolen from the American people by allowing our workforce to have jobs. With this, it has created our prices to be higher due to Healthcare. We we want to offer our employees as much as we can so that they are very successful and their families are healthier and successful. But it just becomes very hard and harder and harder every day. But the way we survive and overcome these problems is we innovate. We develop newer technically advanced products by utilizing the great minds that we have in this company and taking this taking this advantage of our people and our skills to create better products, more higher quality, more control over the machining operation. And this is how we survive because we can ask for a premium price because we have the best product out there. So there is a little, some advantages to the sunshine and the nice climate and the proximity to the, to the beach in the Sierra Nevadas and all that stuff uh, contributes to the creativity and innovation of your employees. So that's, that's good to know. Uh, that's, that's a nice benefit. One of the things I always kind of also like to tell people about Tritool is that we kind of just break the standard of the off-the-shelf mold of what a company is. 
we are a technical solutions provider. We have standard product solutions that you can buy or rent. We have quality, like new, faster equipment. We uh, believe in focusing on those mission-critical jobs. We custom engineer products from the ground up in minimal amount of time because the client needs it today. And why do we take on these challenges is because they're impossible, and we're great at doing the impossible. <laughs> that's that's the one of the components of many of my favorite companies is they're the kind of people that you tell them you can't do something, and they sort of take that as a challenge, and they know that, hey, there's something there that I need to do. So that's, that's really exciting to hear. Joe, I was going to... Um, on the subject of your partners, and, and you alluded to that a little bit uh, around the manufacturing day, what are some of the organizations, um, like uh, maybe the um, SME, the CMTA, some of the others that you've partnered with? Uh, pick one, maybe, and you could talk about it a little bit, or you can give me a list, and then give me we'll give you a chance to give us some specifics on those. Well, I would definitely say working with SME has been a great pleasure, working with Manufacturing Advocates has been a great opportunity for me. And another major group, as you had mentioned, is CMTA, who is the California Manufacturing Technology Association. They are more of a lobbyist advocate group that goes to D.C. that tries to make it so manufacturing actually still matters in California. And... Through them, we actually learned of the ETP program, which is the Employment Training Panel. And that has been an amazing um, opportunity that we have utilized over the past year and a half. Now, I think it's been around since the 80s, but we just learned about it. And that has been able to give us opportunity to train our employees to do more and to have higher skill sets. Um, some of the other groups, the American Welding Society, we worked heavily with over many, many years as our industry has focused on improving the quality of welds. Our, um, we have employees, a lot of employees that are very high-level members of the AWS. We also are um, part of the American Nuclear Society as nuclear gener power generation is one of our key mission critical customers because of the extreme high quality that's required in a power plant. But we also do geothermal power plants. We also do the solar, hydroelectric, coal, oil, and gas. And then in some of our other market spaces are pharmaceutical, paper and pulp, um, aerospace, national defense. So, you know, another thing, uh, your name seems to just keep coming up when I'm talking to people about the skills gap and apprenticeships. And that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to talk to you. Tell me about what the work that, and the efforts that you guys are doing uh, in order to improve the quality of employees and bring new people into the fold here through your apprenticeship efforts. Yes, it has been a pretty exciting little process over the past couple of years as we've been working on increasing the work pool in the area and the skill sets, the technical skill sets that are needed to really survive. Um, 
technical skill sets could lead to anything, how to build a fire, how to fix your car, how to change a flat tire. When I was in college, there were my fellow, my friends basically, would have to call me to change their tire (laughs) when they got a flat tire. And I, I could not even fathom how they could grow up and not know how to do this. So in a lot of efforts in the local community, um, well, I'll start with saying over the past 10 years, the welding and technical trades in our local area has reduced by over 30%. So we have this skills gap that you're talking about due to high schools, middle schools, community colleges, and colleges deciding that they don't need these programs. These were the first programs to be cut due to budget constraints. Now with our efforts and doing some town hall meetings, talking to other companies, working with the local organizations, we have tried to help help assist in the kind of requirements that are needed in the technical skills and trades. And so working with the Los Rios Community College System and some of their other partnering schools, they have been able to come up with the Department of Labor $5 million grant to place 1,000 apprentices over five years. And th- this is amazing for our economy and for our local students because this is what they need. They need the government to help support our programs so that students have reasons and resources to learn and train to do simple things from changing a flat tire to programming a computer numeric control system. Um, without them, our our local area would definitely be drying up and having more issues when it comes to the technical skills and trades. This area, the Aerojet properties, the Siemens, Siemens is also another partner in this apprenticeship program. Um, we used to have computer chip manufacturing, the Intels, we had uh, Kinetics, all these companies that people didn't know have all started out of Sacramento mm. and have been heavily based in Sacramento. And yet some of them have had to move overseas. But as I was saying with Siemens, Siemens is an international company that has built a train manufacturing right down the street here in Sacramento. Yeah. That's exciting for the area, and it's <clears throat> it's really neat to see all these local groups working on this problem. It seems like everybody's starting to get it now and we're starting to get programs at, you know, at Kennedy high school and Oak Ridge and Rockland and all these little, these, these really good programs starting up that it just, you look at it and it's just maybe one passionate individual just saying, okay, you know, we need to do something about this, but then you take it on a bigger picture and you've got SME and you've got all these other groups that are sort of merging together to try to help out. So we really appreciate your efforts, uh, Joe, and Tritool's involvement in that because it's really crucial for, for move, all, all of us to move forward. One of the hardest things, though, that I find is that with all these associations and groups, it's really trying to find out how and who to work with and it's because there's so many people trying to fix this problem that we have. So as these groups and associations and organizations are coming together, it's making it a lot easier for business owners and companies to be able to just go and say, how do we do this? And 
these processes and um, plans have already been put together, and that's that's a big time saver for us to be able to just start helping. Yeah, proof of concept. Somebody's led and paved paved the way, and now we're all of our eyes are being open to that. So it's, I think in a, in in a way, it's a very exciting time uh, for manufacturing here in the Sacramento Valley, in particular. Um, it's it's not a all a downhill th- battle. It's there's a lot of it's uphill, but it's good that people are aware and, and ready to move forward. And you know maybe along those lines, um, I'd love to get your input on what you'd like to see changed to improve the prospects for manufacturing. What are some of the areas that you think really kind of trip us up um, that maybe uh, the government and and even just the people in general advocating for could could make a difference? Some some things that I, I think about when I'm laying in bed at night and trying to figure out why is this our fight, and I, I start to wonder and think, hey, is there a way that California, besides the ETP program, can really really work on making companies that are in California, helping companies in California, be more successful? We we have our biggest competition from other companies that come into California and are able to undercut our pricing because they don't manufacture in California. They don't have the same energy costs. They don't have the same transportation costs for raw goods because everybody else is around them, like you were saying, um, these colonies of manufacturing, and we need that here in California. Our local California customers tell us all the time that our premium price product just isn't worth it due to the, the, their, their own problems with trying to um, make budget and get the jobs. These uh, industrial field construction contractors, they, they're, they're struggling to keep their own business alive. And it would be amazing and great if there was more more focus on California in California businesses but US businesses in the United States because yes it's great that to compete internationally some businesses are able to start operations somewhere else but what they're doing is they're taking the jobs away and then employees can't buy goods and consumer or consumer goods and just this whole chain of effect it's a it's a snowball effect and we need to start at home and we need to increase our own ability to be prosperous because the generations of tomorrow need to have sustaining tangible jobs Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'll refer back again to the previous uh, interview that I did with Bill Gaines, but I learned through Bill that uh, 70% of the people that grew up there don't get more than a, they they get less than two years of college. So that's 70% of the people that really aren't going to have skills that are going to apply to much more than just a very rudimentary type of a job and, um, you know, inspiring these people, uh, to get involved with manufacturing. Manufacturing is a great option 
and it's very good. It's a great benefit to the local community. So along those lines, um, you know, let's let's just say um, that we have a chance to talk to young people like you did, and you're going to give them advice about what they can do to get more involved in this industry. They express an interest in this in this industry. What types of things would you tell them? What types of things would you encourage them to to do? Well, so I've I've started kind of as I've been talking with the local organizations and community colleges, I've kind of brought up a controversial subject, and that is that our community colleges need to focus more on the technical skills and trades and not so much as a prep school for a four-year program. And because we have a lot of students, we have a lot of youth out there that maybe don't want to be a lawyer, don't want to be an engineer, but they are going to do amazing as a technical, mechanical person. And those jobs help raise families. You make good, solid, amazing wages. You earn benefits. You you have the sustainability to really have a great life. But the popular media, the news, has really put a negative spin on what manufacturing is. They've made it sound like that if you're in manufacturing, you should be ashamed of yourself. And that that gets spread across like wildfire, and it's ridiculous. I don't understand how intelligent people can put this image out there on really what has built America. The infrastructure in the U.S. is deteriorating. If you think of your highways and roadways and bridges and tunnels, we hear every day about these problems. How are they going to be fixed? They're going to be fixed by the technical skill trades, and we need to support that. And the students and the youth need to understand that this is a great opportunity for them because there's a lot of work available, a lot of overtime available, and we need to find a way to give them these skills. Yeah, so the skills and and also the exposure, being able to see it. It's neat that you guys brought them in here and let them connect the dots themselves and go, wow, that's really neat because – you were in a unique position to share that with them, having gone through that experience and, you know, growing up around this. People have no idea. I, I didn't spend a I didn't spend a minute in a machine shop until I was about, I don't know, close to thirty years old. And then I had a customers who were machine shops and I really was blown away. I mean, when you watch a, a CNC machine go into town cutting chips there's there's nothing quite like it it's fascinating it's neat and they always say that every time you see that spark every time you see that chip fly that little sound is money money being made (laughs) because you're actually doing something you're building something you can touch it you see raw material coming in you see a finished product going out that is just as complicated as the machine it was built on it has bearings, gears, races, different materials. It could be aluminum, steel, plastics, all intertwined to make a product that does something 
nobody else can do. And that's all manufacturing, whether it's a, a job shop that are trying to make intricate parts to to OEM suppliers that are making their own finished goods like we do, having the welders then fabricate these different components together to build larger components. And as you mentioned about uh, one of our container systems, it's a portable lathe system. It's a seven-axis pipe counterboring machine that is all automated. It uses a laser system to line itself up. And it sits in a 20-foot sea van, so we just load it up on a truck and send it to a job site. But it's portable because you don't have to prepare the, the ground. You don't have to bring the power in. You can be portable, get the work done, and then load it back on the truck and then get out of their way <laughs> because they have other things they need to do in their, on their properties. Sure. that That's fascinating. I, I love the uh, – you can always tell a – a company that really listens to their customers because they have one of the most diverse product lines. And I knew right away walking around Tritool and seeing the different equipment, you know, it's, it's very evident that you guys listen to the needs of the customer and adapt to the needs of the customer. And that seems to be really part of your niche. It, it is, uh, it's what's so exciting is I've learned more about <clears throat> more about geothermal, more about solar power plants, how they work, how they're built, the the extreme requirements for consistency, accuracy, and quality. Um, it, it's, it's spurred from nuclear power, the oil and gas, across all industries as safety has become such a predominant need and want because we all want to be able to go home to our families at night the way we left them in the morning and taking the technology of safety and applying it to the industries and with our many different sandboxes that some people say we're in too many but at the time and in the times we are where quality is needed and quality and safety are our most biggest priority. Well, we need that. I mean, you, you see the, um, you see what happens when you cut corners. It's not always a short term thing, but eventually that comes back to, to haunt you. You've got the buildings falling over in certain parts of the, the world. I won't go, get into specifics. You've got huge explosions occurring and, you know, storage facilities. It's sort of like when you cut those corners, when you take those chances, eventually it comes back to bite you and then you wish that you took the quality, you know, safety approach first. That, that's always kind of a, a funny situation in a way that a project that we have bid on, well, we, we might not win it. And then maybe halfway through the project, we get a phone call saying, what does it cost to get here now and fix what is going wrong? Mm. And we like to put out fires. Sometimes I call us smoke jumpers because <laughs> we jump into situations we don't understand, but we know what we need to do because we have experienced and personnel from those industries that have dealt with this in the past. One of my uh, um, 
and no, no offense to any purchasing managers who may be listening to this program, but <laughs> the purchasing manager sometimes makes decisions based on price alone, mm. and buildings sometimes may fall. Um, pipelines may have issues due to that corner cutting that you said, and it's only beneficial for them for the short time, but people need to start focusing again on the quality and rigid capacities of equipment and tools nowadays where buying that throwaway machine from across the ocean is a horrible idea. Yeah, I like I like to think of it as it, it's like the snap-on screwdrivers that I still have in my toolbox that I have had since I was in high school. I don't have any other screwdrivers that were in my toolbox in high school, but I still have those snap-on screwdrivers because they were built to last the test of time. So I, I love going to flea markets and pawn shops to pick up some new old snap-on craftsman tools. Yep, yep. So, Joe, um, I, I love asking people like yourself um, who some inspiring figures are in, in their life. Uh, who are some in, uh, people who have inspired you over the years? Obviously, your, your parents have been a big one. Uh, there's no doubt about that just from the introduction of the company. What are, t- tell me about uh, some inspiring figures. In my life, I have had a privilege of having many mentors and people that I admired. As I was saying, growing up in the company and having the opportunity to work with different employees, I was able to really learn from many different people, and they they inspired me to do great things and to understand that it's not a responsibility, it's a privilege to do what I do. And I can go back to working with um, Bob Nelson in the machine shop when I was uh, younger. I would go home with him and we built some Jeeps and we built hydraulic units. And he was even working on building a helicopter in his garage. Hmm. He was our shop foreman back in the day. Um, other mentors of mine, I would definitely say my football coach, he, he, he really helped mold me as a young man. Um, actually both my football coaches when I was a freshman to, um, junior, senior year, they, they really, they really drove in what it meant to work as a team and to do great things and not to be selfish, but to be humble. Um, I give a lot of credit to my ROTC, my junior ROTC program, that that really inspired and taught me leadership and how to work with others and work amongst the community. But I definitely go back to my dad, and my dad is just one of those guys that is amazing. The things that he accomplished in his lifetime he is 91 years old right now. He served in three armed, three of the armed forces, and he was World War II in Korea, and he was a general surgeon, and he co-founded TriTool that now has, currently we have over 200 employees counting our field service technicians. We have done amazing things, and... Also, I one thing I forgot to kind of talk about is 
some as some of our clients and customers go, we have their special little panels in the A10 Warthog that are specifically there so our tool can fit in hmm. to do any repair as the as they're in a field deployed situation. Um, they just those kind of stories. We we helped repair the Seattle Superdome. The roof wasn't opening, and they needed to fix the drive system. Uh, that was a little segue from mentors, and <laughs> but uh, Dad definitely big part of who I am. Him and Mom. Dad was a lot more of the salt of the earth, get the job done, no frills, no bells, no whistles, and Mom was very much more of the comforter and really, really helped me understand what life was about and what I needed to do to survive. Very good. Very cool. Well, Joe, it's, uh, it's, um, going to be, a, I think another great, uh, decades, many decades ahead with you now at the helmet tri-tool. And I know here in the area, we really appreciate having you guys here and your involvement. And it, it's really been Really a lot of fun talking with you and picking up more and more about what really makes things tick around here. So I appreciate your passion and and the good work that you guys are doing and the employees that you're uh, providing jobs for and the output to the community. It's all it's all appreciated. So I want to thank you very much for being on the uh, on the pro- on the podcast today. No, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. This has been a very fun experience and. Hopefully I've been able to inspire others out there to to take on the challenge of doing the impossible, and that's entering manufacturing, because really all manufacturers have a mission, and that mission is what my dad's vision has always been, and that is to make the world a safer place, and we are all doing it just one step at a time. So thank you, Joe, and greatly appreciate this and good luck to the future of manufacturing advocates podcast thank you very much so you've been listening to george j Warnett the third aka joe the ceo of tritool here on the manufacturing advocates podcast if you want to listen to more go to manufacturingadvocates.com and joe where can they learn more about tritool www.tritool.com wonderful thank you joe and have a great rest of your day